The Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab number 166 for Friday, August 29th, 2008. Greetings, folks, and welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab. I am Dave Hamilton. He is John Braun. How are you? I'm all messed up, man. <laughs> yeah, Friday. We we haven't been on schedule since before we uh, we flew to Vegas, right? We we did that show uh, on Monday night before PME, and and since then it's just been all over the place. And then you're going away next week, so here we are doing a show on Friday, so that uh, we don't have to try and and make you do a show from Disney World. Uh, that could be fun. Um, maybe we'll try it. No, we can, we can try it. I don't know. Yeah. I'm not going to try it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, yeah. So we have, we have actually quite a bit of stuff to go through. Some follow-ups from last show, cool things that are found and, and some questions and probably some rants and all that good stuff. Um, I, I have gotten emails from a lot of you folks asking, are we doing a hotel deal again? Uh, a, a hotel Are discount we? discount deal for Macworld Expo. Yeah, and I I finally put the finishing touches on the deal, literally like 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 hours ago, and and it's in place. We we're, we're back at the Hotel Milano, which makes me very happy. Last year I actually didn't stay there for Macworld because there weren't enough rooms left, and of course I'm saying that now realizing I haven't reserved our rooms for the staff at the Hotel Milano. So hopefully. Uh, you guys won't beat me to the punch, but it's okay. Feel free to. We, we can always deal with it. Uh, yeah, and, and as we mentioned in the past, the weather is always pretty nice in, in San Francisco. So, you know, there is the outdoor option. <laughs> yeah, we'll just sleep on the street, John. That'll be nice. Well, I, I'd want to get at least a box or something or yep. a tent. How about a tent? <laughs> Why not bring tents? That's right. <laughs> well, if you don't want to bring a tent, you can stay at the Hotel Milano. I have stayed there uh, three times, I think, since uh, since Macworld Expo last year. And I've I've loved it every time. There was the one time in April when the Wi-Fi sucked, uh, but I talked to actually talked to them and they listened and they <sighs> actually made some changes. And the two times that I was there since then, uh, one of which was for WWDC and the hotel was packed, not only with WWDC people, but with all the uh, the, the medical conference people. And the Wi-Fi rocked. I, I We did this podcast, right? I did a yes. podcast with. Uh, I don't know, with iPhone Alley. And I think I did a Mac roundtable, too. It was like three podcasts in two days. But suffice to say, the Wi-Fi was awesome. The rooms are big. The beds are comfortable. The staff is really nice. And it's it, it's in a great location. So uh, I'm very happy to do it again. Hotel rates have gone up, uh, but uh, they've gone up across the board. So it's, uh, it, it's 179 normally at the uh, Milano. We're getting it for one seventy four a night. So, uh, so you save five bucks a night. It's not a huge amount of money, but if you're going to go, you might as well save. You might as well get the deal that we could negotiate oh. for you. So. Now, you know, I'd, I'd like you to work on this while I'm gone. Is uh, I don't know if you've noticed, but can, can you get us an airline deal? Oh yeah, good luck. I with that. I've noticed that. Yeah, I've actually for you I the... can. For you I can. I would highly recommend going to JFK and flying uh, Virgin America. From Ooh. from JFK to San Francisco, it's cheap because they're a new airline. They're they're looking to get business, so their 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 rates are cheap. I just looked; uh, it's like two eighty right now round trip, and the planes. Really? I've never flown on one, but but Greg Snyder from Backbeat Media, you yeah, know, yeah. he has awesome. Huh. He loves the planes. They've got 
all kinds of technological gizmos and, and widgets oh. and everything happening on the plane. If you want a drink, you go to your touchscreen in front of you and you say, I want a 7-Up. And, <laughs> and, and then they, they just materialize out of the back and bring you a 7-Up. And the same wow. with a sandwich. And they've got music on the plane. It's actually a really geeky thing. They've got this touchscreen, kind of like JetBlue, but, but taken to a whole other level. Instead of just having the screen you can watch TV on, you can pull movies out of their on-demand stuff, music out of their on-demand. Like I said, you order food and beverages and did I tell you I'm standing up for the podcast today? Can you all tell that I'm a little bit hyper, more hyper than normal? Maybe hyper like I was years ago when I used to stand up. Oh, my. All right. Hi. So um, I'll, I'll, the only thing is I, I hate. Hey, look, a pony. Oh, never mind. <laughs> I really like Bradley because even though I'm in Connecticut and I'm close to New York, New York City is just a mess to get into. Right, well, you pay for Bradley then. Yeah, I pay for the convenience, and, and I'm I'm willing to pay a certain certain dollar amount for that. But anyway, so, so well, last show about, we yeah, talked go. about uh, dot underscore files, and uh, and we answered a question about them incorrectly, uh, and asked for help. Well, kind of incorrectly. We, we right. talked about how how not to write the dot ds store file, right? But, but, but we were we, we, speculated. we speculated, and we're wrong. You got it. That disabling that would disable the creation of all these other little invisible. Files. Right. So so the dot underscore files, uh, the, the simple answer is to use a piece of software called Blue Harvest from 0120.com. And, and of course, we'll put that in the in the show notes. And and among many other things, it stops the creation of dot underscore files. But it still begs the question, John, what the heck is a dot underscore file? And, you, you know, it, it actually reaches back. Our rant is coming, but it reaches back far back into the history of how the Mac did things. Um, does this things. Was insist- does uh, things. Does things and did. But but even, uh, I, I guess the reason I say that is when they did this, it was, I think, somewhat revolutionary. So one way to look at a computer system or a file is to store all the data that you want into a single file. Another way to think about things, and this is what Apple did early on, and I'm sure others did, but Apple uh, grasped onto it and, and uh, I think was pretty successful with it, is you break up a file into two what they called forks. One fork is the data fork. The data fork is is what's pretty much critical data to what you want to do, whether it be you know words for a word processing file, graphics for a graphic file. The resource fork, um, if your file system supports it, and that's the key here, or supports it inherently or natively the resource fork contains things like maybe icons associated when you when you see the file it looks nice and pretty or maybe a version number i've seen a lot of things and they had an app uh, which is long since gone called ResEdit um back in like a uh, mac os 9 and prior that would let you do this it would let you look at the resources um within a file um they're not critical, but they make life a lot nicer on a computing operating system or file system that supports it. The so what, so what's, is, a, what's a dot underscore file? Well, uh, I'm sorry. Well, a dot underscore file is the resource fork that is created when the file system does not support the creation of, of uh, these files. Um, for what I'm saying is if, if you're if you're supported as, you know, HFS plus or extended to like, oh, what's the latest term? I don't know. Yeah. HFS plus HFS plus inherently supports this within the file system. When your Mac talks to things that are not HFS plus like fat 32 or fat 16 or any any other thing, because it wants to maintain this information somehow, 
and this is maybe leading to a rant, but it will create this dot underscore file on the foreign file system. Now, on the Mac, this isn't a big deal because you don't see it because it's Unix and it has a dot at the beginning. Of course, a dot at the beginning of a file in a Unix-based OS means you're invisible. Don't display yourself normally to the user. Unfortunately, what happens is that this leaves a trail of crud, shall I say, or file droppings, whatever. <laughs> like, for example, I have a flash drive, as a lot of people do. And, and sometimes, especially if you go between platforms, you may want to make your flash drive um, FAT32 or FAT16. So you can easily go between the Mac and the PC. Unfortunately, the Mac sprays these invisible files all over the place. And when you bring it over to a PC, it sees them. And you can see them, it, depending on how your, your OS is set up. But I choose to, to display that sort of thing. Uh, so I guess a, a little rant or a finger wag is that, you know, creating files without telling the user about it, and then they have to scratch their head later saying, what, what is this dot underscore file? Um, I think it's kind of rude. Yeah, I, I agree. I, you know, I don't deal with, I, I'm not a camera guy. So, uh, you know, I don't deal with flash media a whole lot. And, uh, or I meant just the USB stick. Same sort of thing. Yeah, I've, I've formatted all my USB sticks as, uh, as, as FAT32, as a HFS Plus, actually. I think. Okay, okay. Or, or, maybe, or, or maybe I just don't notice it on the Mac. I, I, don't, I don't know. I, I've, when I read about this, I remember thinking, oh, yeah, I, you know, that's right. I, I've seen these, but, but I don't see them often. My uh, the the one the one shared network drive that I have on the Linux machine I'm running NetaTalk, which uh, supports Apple Double and and so it kind of does its its magic behind the scenes. So right. So the so the thing is to me and and even within we're linked to an Apple uh, support article about this, but they even say within their support article. Oh, by the way, if you see both files, the dot underscore file can be safely ignored, which to me begs the question: Why are you? <laughs> no, I know why they're doing it. Uh, right. They're doing it to make the, the, the experience more pleasant for people on the Mac that are using media that's formatted in a non-Mac format. Um, the thing is, this can get dangerous. And actually, I will give a specific situation where this caused havoc, wreaked havoc. So I had a, a not my current Motorola phone, the Crazer, but a, uh, uh, oh, I forgot which model it was, but the one I had before, but it had uh, SD media, um, you know, or mini SD, mini secure digital media. And what I could do is I could take pictures on the phone and then to avoid, you know, giving Verizon even more money, instead of using their so-called free upload service, I would put it on a memory card. And this was the only way to shuttle things from the phone to the Mac without paying Verizon. So, you know, wagging the finger to them too. I'm, I'm just wagging right now so but the problem was is when you put it in the mac it would because it was formatted by the phone as as a fat 32 the mac would spray these little invisible files on there well the problem was a lot of devices especially cell phones they may not deal very well with files that they didn't create or especially files that have a syntax that they don't like and it would crash your phone pretty much i would put wow. in the card i would say hey read the pictures on here and be like okay crash because wow. it, the, one of the first files it found, it'd be like, oh, here's a file dot underscore whatever. And then it'd be like, I didn't make this. What am I going to do with it? OK, let me crash. Wow. Very nice. <laughs> I like that. So so the danger. So that's why I have a, a finger wag at Apple is but by spraying these files uh, on another device without at least any of the user know about it. You know, eventually I figured it out and I, I found a utility 
you know, similar to uh, what we recommended, um, Blue Harvest, right? Right. Yeah. Um, and, and thank you, actually, to everyone that emailed in about this and, and all of you that recommended Blue Harvest. There were too many to, to, to mention on Twitter, on uh, via email, voicemail, all the good stuff. So thank yeah. you. But, but so, yeah. So the, the general tip is if you are having problems with a memory device that you are shuttling between your Mac and any other device, cell phone, BlackBerry, Trio, whatever. Yep. Um, they may not deal very well with the these files that Apple has created. Now, it, it's important to note not every file is created this way. Only only files that the Mac or or some application on the Mac has tacked on additional data. Like mm-hmm. if you have an image and you say, "Yeah, store the thumbnail here." Well, that right. that might be one of those things. It's also in- interesting to note that for applications, this problem has been problem this issue has been re-engineered and applications now instead of being files that have a data fork and a resource fork now the resource fork of applications used to be huge it had all the 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 window definitions and and you know menus and all that stuff were were stored out in the resource fork now all that stuff is stored inside a package which other operating systems see as a folder and we're actually going to talk a little bit about that later so, yeah but uh, but that the, the resource fork, I think, was originally developed for applications and then and then, you know, obviously was was used in great quantity with with documents. But uh, but but it's no longer used for applications because they're they're packaged now. So uh, also in in uh, in our last show in number 165, we talked about we had a question uh, about getting to the Safari search bar and we said, you know, hit command F. And uh, and then hit tab and, and you'll pop yourself right over there. And Craig Craig wrote in and said, uh, here's one more for you on the shortcut front. In Safari, iTunes and Firefox, you can use an undocumented shortcut. And that is command option F. And it'll put you straight to the search bar. And in fact, it works. I think, John, you found it does not work in, in Firefox 2, but it works in Firefox 3. Is that right? At least in I had a version, I believe, was Firefox 2 on one of my older Max at work and and no it didn't work so it's it's not quite universal but I think it is with all the latest browsers. Okay, uh, it, it's also important to note that this is not technically something I would call undocumented, and by that I mean if you go to in Safari, if you go to the edit menu, you go to find. There's a sub menu, and and one of the options there is Google search, and it has the the symbols for command option and then F. Typically. Uh, in order to get a function to be mapped to the command key sequence, you put that function in the menu and then you assign And when I say you, I mean, the developer puts that function in one of the menus where it's appropriate and then assigns that function to a command key and the system binds it together. So they don't have to write two functions. They don't have to do it any, you know, anything crazy, write the function, tie it to the menu key. Tie it to the uh, to the menu bar item and then bam, tie a, uh, a, a, a command key equivalent to it. So now I, I guess, you know, we were talking about this before, John, I guess it's possible for a developer to circumvent that and have a command key shortcut for something that doesn't exist in the menus. But you'd have to go out of your way to do yeah. it. And it's bad practice. I mean, it, it in could most be, cases. the only reason I could imagine is if you're doing like an Easter egg or something. Mm hmm. 
You know, um, you know, the other thing, uh, micro rant, you know, that symbol that they show in the menu, uh, not the clover, the one for the option. Yeah. What's with that? I don't know what that is. I don't think option when I see that. And it's really confusing. I mean, up arrow shift, right? I think that's yeah. what that means. You know, the clover, uh, which is also, you know, command or apple. Sure. But what is with that other? Because it doesn't even map to a symbol on the keyboard, at least not the keyboard uh, it, I have. It, it's like a, 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 a Z, Z on its side with with like a little guy up at the top. Does anybody know what that symbol is called or, or what the <laughs> no? what the evolution? I mean, clearly somebody didn't just say, hey, hey this would be a cool symbol for option. It, it, there's got to uh-huh. be a story here. Right. It, there, someone at some point said this is the option symbol. And here's why. Can somebody share it. that with us? That'd be nice. That'd be like a nice coming back from vacation gift for John. Yes. <laughs> Our sponsor for this show is Audio Engine at AudioEngineUSA.com. Audio Engine has the uh, speakers I use here on my desk in the in the studio, in the mixing room here. I use the A5s. These are speakers for a large desk. Uh, They have a full sound. They've got two speakers in each cabinet. The cabinets are separate, so you can get a nice stereo field. They've also got an AC outlet on the back, so you could hang an Airport Express or something like that off the back and plug right in and have the speakers powered, uh, not powered, but have the speakers driven by the, uh, the Airport Express. Whatever sound you've got coming out of the Airport Express could go right into the speakers. That's the A5s. The A2s are the smaller desk version of the A5s. Again, similar in that they have two speakers inside the enclosure. Both speakers sound great. The A5s have a bigger sound, fill a bigger room, but with uh, the A2s for a small office, totally geared for it. These speakers were engineered with MP3 sound in mind. As, uh, as many audiophiles will know, MP3 sounds are not uh, as crystal clear and don't have all of the fidelity that a CD would. These speakers were engineered with that in mind and have some EQ uh, bumps and, and tricks done to, to really make MP3s come alive. And, and I would have to say that uh, for my in my experience here, they, they certainly did. So the A5 and A2 speakers from Audio Engine at AudioEngineUSA.com. Go ahead and check them out. And uh, if you do, nice. thank them. Thank them for sponsoring the show. We certainly appreciate it. And I got to say, they're the only speakers, so I have a pair, an uh, earlier version. They continue to make improvements. Yep. They are honestly the only speakers I know that go up to 11 <laughs> in that, at least with my setup, I got, seriously, I can turn the volume all the way up and they will handle it. Your neighbors will shake their fist at you. But, um, but, but I think it's a good piece of engineering is that I can crank them up without them distorting to heck. So uh, good stuff. I love them. Cool. AudioEngineUSA.com. All right. Uh, in the cool stuff found category, Rob writes another oh, idea. Wait. Oh, wait. Okay, we'll wait for mine. Oh, yeah, we were going to do yours. At yeah, last we'll do Rob first. Second. Sorry. Okay. Oh, we'll do yours second. Be... We'll do yours second. That's fine. <laughs> uh, another idea, and this relates to Google Calendar syncing with iCal. Spanning Sync at spanningsync.com is a great service that truly syncs your Google Calendar with your iCal calendar. Rather than having to have separate calendars on each service that don't really sync both ways, it actually allows you to sync one calendar to another bi-directionally. I've been using it for a few months and it works flawlessly, and now it even supports Google contact syncing with your Mac address book. I've coupled this with the MailPlane uh, MailPlane app, which is at MailPlaneApp.com, 
to get Mac desktop functionality to my Gmail service, and I've successfully dropped mail and .mac slash mobile me. Gmail is a great service for anyone who has their own domain, and you can send and receive emails directly to from Gmail with your own domain, something that is lacking in mobile me. So thanks, Rob. Yeah, so spanning sync. Very, very cool. Uh, it Obviously, Google calendars are free. So if you have the need to share calendars and truly sync bi-directionally with, with other people, uh, you can you can use spanning sync to to get yourself there. So that's uh, thanks, Rob. Definitely a cool thing. And we're glad you found it and told us, John. So what I found was just a, a cool observation. Um, so as of late, uh, Dave, both you and I have been using um, Dropbox. I don't know if we have any. I think we may have a couple of invites, but I in general like it. And so Dave and I are currently kind of kicking around using it as a tool um, to collaborate among the the people that you know bring you this uh, this podcast between me, you, and uh, Michael. Right. So we all share a folder. Everything's great. Now I noticed something was kind of wacky today because it would say updating file txt.rtf. I'm like, well, that's kind of weird. I don't. Dave usually you know uses more meaningful names for his his uh, <laughs> notes and stuff than txt.rtf. I'm like, what's I, going I tried. on with that? <laughs> and then eventually I figured it out. And, and and so I was at lunchtime just to, you know, prepare since we're doing the show early and I got to, you know, pack and or finish my packing and rush off. Um, so I brought uh, it's the first time I have brought a so, so we make our, our files in RTFD format, which actually um, uh, uh, they 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 get to you in RTFD format just to back up one one step. I create okay. it in Yojimbo. And then simply drag it out of Yojimbo right into the Dropbox. And so Yojimbo spits it out uh, as as an RTFD file. So I always thought, and sometimes when I'm, you know, using, um, I guess, text edit, um, making a file, if you add multimedia to it, all of a sudden it says, well, I got to make this an RTFD file. Like, eh, well, OK, sure. I think this is something that's Apple specific, because when I brought it over very briefly in my PC to edit it, I saw a folder called mgg166.rtfd. I'm like, well, something's really wrong here because, no, RTFD is a file, not a folder. As it turns out, I was wrong. It's a package. Just like we talked about before. uh, Wow, isn't that convenient? (laughs) (laughs) Almost like we planned that. An RTFD, I think we did. So an RTFD file actually is a package, which a package is a collection of files, which consists of a file called uh, txt.rtf, which is the text. And then within that file, it links to... So, for example, we had two audio comments uh, for the show, and there are two WAV files within that package. Now, here's the warning, though. Do not edit that file with something like Microsoft Word because the linkage within the file gets broken if you use another text editor, I suspect, because it has a special, you know, weird ASCII code character that says, hey... You know, point to this and embed it. So you can damage the multimedia embedding by editing the text.rtf with another program. Of course, since I'm a Mac geek, I can do that and and accept the consequences of my actions. <laughs> but I thought it was kind of cool because I'm like, it's a folder. Uh, so Dropbox revealed that and and helped me learn a little bit something about myself and about <laughs> what an RTFT file is. So it it looks like and, and of course, I'm getting this from Wikipedia. Uh, it looks like RTFD is. A holdover is a standard? From, from next step, 
uh, and it's been ported to other versions of, of Unix, uh, or at least TextEdit has, and, and TextEdit is the the program whose default format is RTFD. So yeah, it it's a it's a Mac thing. Uh, in contrast to RTF, it says here RTFD files cannot be opened by applications on Windows or other mm-hmm. non Mac OS ten operating <laughs> systems. So yeah, so there you go. Well, yeah. Uh, yeah, kind of. No, I, I was able to do it, but but it was probably due to Dropbox. Ah, uh, yes, because we're using a a. Because uh, I have the client on both service. a PC yeah, and a right. Mac, so I guess when the PC sees it, rather than just panicking. It's like, well, all right, I might as well show it to you as a folder, okay? So I think it's some smarts in Dropbox. Yeah, well, it'd be interesting. You know what? Save an RTFD file. Tying all of this together. This is like a good comedian, right? Tying the, 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 the end, although this is not the end. Anyway... Save an RTFD file with embedded mm. attachments, right? You know, one of these. Save it to one of your memory sticks and go plug it into your PC uh, and see if that file mm. comes through okay or if it comes through as a folder or how it comes through. Because I bet it'll just come through as a folder. I bet it. I bet the Mac sees it as a folder, yeah. too, just like it does every other package. Because but if you, it displays it. Right. Yes. But properly. it interprets on the fly. Yeah. And, you know, I got a, I, I got a surprise, Dave. Oh, my gosh. Well, the thing is, we usually don't mention this. I didn't see it in the notes, but, you know, I, I bet you there are people just itching to contact us. And, and I can think of a number of ways to contact us. You totally read my mind, dude. I was going to say the know, same And, you know, I mean, my favorite, and, and we love these um, audio comments, uh, you can call us at, I, I think it's 206-666-GEEK, which Dave is. 4335. And then you and, can. And we love those. We do oh. love those. And then okay. you can email feedback at MacGeekGab.com. I will point out, and I, I'm almost hesitant to say this address here, but some people email feedback at MacObserver.com, and that actually goes mm. to a different place. So uh, if you can, re- it, it, it still gets to me eventually, which is fine. Well, that's to the editing staff. Correct. Right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So feedback at MacGeekGab.com actually gets to John and I, and that's a good thing. So Yeah. And we don't let the TMO editing staff touch this because... Uh, <laughs> Just kidding. Sorry, Jeff. It's, tr- it's true. We hi, don't. Jeff. Yeah, hi, Jeff. Well, no, we got to maintain a separation of powers here, right? Okay. Uh, I'll, I'll stop. Go. All right. And then uh, <laughs> you can Skype us to Mac Geekab. And uh, this next comment was uh, was sent in via but voicemail. There's, but oh, there's is there more? Go ahead. Well, you can also well you can, you can follow Twitter, us on Twitter. You could Twitter John Efron or Dave Hamilton. There you go. And even Pilot Pete. And yep, those are our handles, and uh, I'm I'm still a Twitter junkie. I'm uh, scaling back a bit, but I can definitely see the utility. It's it's still lots of fun. So yeah. uh, follow us if you dare. <laughs> if you yeah, if you dare. Uh, okay, the, off to Mike, and and I, I'm just going to thank Mike in advance. That's all I'm going to say. Hey, John Davis, Mike from Hampton. Just calling. I was listening to another one of the podcasts. I think it was episode 165. And you actually had someone call in regarding somewhat of a paint program for the Mac. And uh, I agree. I actually use Graphic Converter a lot. Love it. Great program. And um, it used to come free with all those Macs, and now it does cost you a little bit, but still a great program. I definitely agree. Worth the money. I use a program uh, a lot called Skitch. It's actually, I believe, from Plask. Uh, I think that's www.plask.com. And um, it's a great program. I use it a lot to uh, take screenshots of the computer, so you can do that and kind of uh, similar to other programs that, like Grab on the Mac, or you can actually use your iPhoto library, pull up a photo, and be able to either put text on it, 
uh, circles around it, like you want to point at something, put arrows. So I use it um, if I want to send a picture and just put some things on it quickly to somebody, or if I want to take a picture of my desktop or another application to show somebody uh, how to complete a procedure or something else with it. Um, great program. Uh, I think it still might be in beta state, but it is still a good program, and you can actually upload some of your uh, pictures to the web and save it either as a JPEG, PDF, a TIFF. So great application and it's got a great drag and drop feature. You just drag it into your email and save some of that stuff once you're done. So highly recommend it and like I said, I think it's great because I still believe it's actually free. So keep up the great work on the GeekGab guys and just wanted to give you that tip. Take care. Bye-bye. John, I heard this comment yesterday while I was prepping the show and I stopped my prep and went and got this app and spent about the next 20 minutes mucking with it. It's awesome. It's exactly the kind of thing that I have wished for countless times in the past. It, it's exactly what Mike said. It, it's a it's a screen capture app. Now, it'll also, like he said, pick photos from various places on your Mac if you want, mm-hmm. or it'll use your, your camera and you can actually take a picture of you uh, with it. And then and then you can mark up the picture. So, you know, constantly I want to take a screenshot of something and draw an arrow to it so that the person that I'm sending it to or if I'm posting it on the Web or whatever sees it. And, oh, OK, yeah, that's what you're talking about. And you can add a drop shadow. This thing will do it all internally. And then you can upload it to their uh, Web based hosting service, which is still free. Or you can upload it to dot Mac. You can upload it to. Uh, an FTP server. There's all sorts of different options and you can set up these multiple destinations. The best way to really truly understand what the app does is the first time you launch it, it, a little movie plays that shows you all about the app and it takes like three minutes. And I, I highly recommend you don't close that movie window. Just let it show you and then you'll totally be a convert. So skitch S K I T C H dot com. Now, we also found, I actually sent you a link, Dave, but we discussed this about a year ago, and there is another project. We discussed Skitch? We no, no. did at, P- at NME. Well, in a way we did, because what we discussed, and actually I think I wrote an article about it, was something called Jing. That's it. J-I-N-G. And in the comments, thank you for commenting on our articles, folks. Someone said, hey, you know, this sounds a lot like Skitch. Now, I don't know which came. Uh, I think Jing may have come later. Okay. So we'll link to it at www.jingproject.com. And I think it's a similar, I, I think it may not be as full featured, but uh, it lets you capture images, record video, share them online. It's both for Mac and Windows. So I think it's similar and it's something that TechSmith kind of tossed out there as, well, let's see what people think of this. Right. And I think they're still figuring it out because there's no revenue model right now. It's free and you right. can share. I'd um, pay for this app. I mean, I'd pay like 50 bucks for this app. It, it's oh, totally I've used it, it, especially the annotation. And I think that's what separates it from some. I, I don't think yeah. Jing lets you do that. I think it's more a capture and right. forward. But to illustrate what you're seeing and put big arrows and circles and stuff like that to really make it clear to people, here's what I'm talking about. I, I, I agree with you. I, I think it's very powerful. It's awesome. It's awesome. Okay. Uh, I'm going to do going my best here? here. You know, I'm standing up and uh, I'm going to do you my best here to, to read Benjamin's email. Oh, oh my. Yes. All uh, right. Uh, can you no, tighten I, that up a bit? Or, I got uh, it now. Yeah. 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 Okay. Uh, Benjamin says, I went to the finder. Uh, wait, 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 wait. I was running a few applications, nothing too CPU intensive. 
And all of a sudden, my computer slowed to a halt. I'm using a MacBook Air running 10.5.4. I went to the Finder, which was somewhat more responsive than the other apps, though iTunes continued to play as if nothing had happened, and I launched Activity Monitor. I found nothing unusual until I switched to All Processes. I have it set on My Processes by default. There, I found a process that was using between 50 and 75% of the CPU. It is called kernel underscore task, and it is listed under the root user. I guessed, and correctly, it seems, according to Benjamin, that this process is somehow tied to the time capsule that I use for backups. And I immediately canceled that backup uh, that was running the first of the day, so it was big, about 500 megs. I should... Back up and say that I looked at the menu bar item for Time Machine and noticed that my backup was making no progress before I canceled it. After taking quite a while to stop backing up, the mounted drive from my time capsule disappeared and kernel tasks slowly but surely lowered its CPU usage to a comfortable level under 5%. At this point, I figured that I was right with my hunch and I turned off Time Machine backups for this so that the process doesn't repeat itself every hour. However... I would still like to know of anything you can tell me about this process, especially because I rely on time machine backups and would like to continue to use them smoothly. One other thing I noticed about kernel task is that the virtual memory in activity monitor is listed at 1.19 gigabytes, which is higher than all of the other processes. Also, it has over 50 threads and I am not sure exactly what this means. Okay. I, to me, it's, it's pretty clear what you got to do, Dave. Just kill it, right? You got a gun. <laughs> Oh, you're, where, you're you're picking up on my 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 uh, wisecracks, aren't you? Where, no, where, of course, do not. Okay, the lawyers are shaking their fists. Do not kill Colonel Task. If you kill Colonel Task, you kill your computer. If you can even kill it, I don't think you can. Colonel Task is process ID zero on. on your Mac, and it is a task. Although that could be argued, right? It it's a it's a combination of many many things. When they created Mac OS X, there was this underlying drive to limit the number of processes that were running. Now, when a Unix machine starts up, a ton of stuff spawns with, under a process called init. And uh, what they did at Apple, and, and this is based on some stuff I read and some speculation of my own. And, and, and so uh, if there are those of you that dis- dis- disagree, well, I have some please too, chime but in. But I think between the two of us, I think we'll yeah. get it mostly right. So yeah. you go. Okay, so so they lumped a whole bunch of different processes into kernel task. And essentially what kernel task does is a lot of the underlying memory and device management on the computer. So uh, to answer Benjamin's assumption, no. Kernel task is not directly related to time machine. Backup D is the process that, that is time machine. Mm-hmm. Uh, that said, one of the things Time Machine does, especially as it starts a backup, is it scours your drive. Now, in order for Backup D to scour your drive, it has to go to the operating system and say, hey, scour the drive for me and, you know, do this stuff. And, and really, it doesn't say scour the drive. It says, I'm scouring the drive. Go read this and tell me what it says. Go read that and tell me what it says. And kernel task is the interface there between Backup D, which is just the application that says it wants data, and the actual physical hardware, it, you know, kernel task goes out, looks at the kernel extensions that let it manage all the different devices on the system, USB, Firewire, IO, uh, you know, IDE, SATA, all that stuff. And, and it, it manages that. And the, and the nice part is application developers don't have to write code 
to go talk to the, the hardware directly. They just ask the, the OS to do it. And the OS says, oh, yeah, got it. No problem. And that way, if there's an update to a driver, you don't have to update every application you have. You just update the one driver on the machine and bam, it's, you know, it's a beautiful thing. So that's what kernel task does. It has lots of threads running because it's a lot of things piled in together. Yes. And it manages all your memory. Uh, so it makes sense that its memory footprint is hard to accurately represent. It's not actually using all that memory, but in a way it is because everything spawns from it. So it, it's, you know, the, the memory represented by kernel task is actually also it, su- the sum of many other processes that you're, th- that are also running and broken out. So it, it's, it's a weird thing, but don't kill it. But uh, well, you could try. Yeah, but, if you if you yeah. see it using a lot of of CPU power, I noticed I noticed kernel task uses a lot of CPU power when I'm doing things like file copies, uh, and and by a lot, you know, fifty to seventy five. That's huge. And there's a MacBook Air specific thing we're going to talk about in a minute that might be at play here in a minute. But I got to talk. Right. Right. Soon. But but uh, you'll be all right. <laughs> um, but uh, it, yeah, it it's it it. Anytime you're doing I.O. intensive stuff, kernel task is going to step up a little bit. And uh, so so that that's what's going on here. John, uh, you want to go and then we'll then we'll talk about this MacBook Air specific thing that's not really oh, kernel task right. related. So I'll go a little bit is uh, now you're probably familiar with, but I just want to mention these things. So kernel, what is kernel? Are we talking a kernel in the army or something? No, of course not. We're talking something. And actually, in the case of Mac OS 10, we have something called, uh, and it's kind of hard to describe, called a microkernel. As you may know, Dave, uh, uh, Next Step and Mac OS X is based on the mock microkernel. This was something that was developed at uh, Carnegie Mellon University. And it's weird because it's kind of hard to classify it. It's not quite an operating system. It's not quite the BIOS. It's kind of this thing that floats in between. But but as you pointed out, the thing is, a lot of tasks, now I think you mentioned memory management, I would also say process and thread management, among other things, are also attributed to this thing called the uh, kernel task. So the thing is, and I think you observed this, a lot of, the kernel is doing a lot of really important work as far as you know, prioritizing tasks, running them, making sure they run, making sure they, 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 they go away when they're done, and stuff like that. So... It's clear that this task should take a lot of. Yeah, the the problem is it's if you think of it as a task, it looks like an unreasonable one because it's hogging all the resources. The thing is, that's what it should be doing, or at least appear to be doing. It's it's making your system run hopefully smoothly, but sometimes it and and it's responding to other applications saying, hey, I need some memory. Okay, I'm going to get you some memory. Hey, I need some threads. Okay, I'll get them for you. Just hold on. And that's really, I think, the main task of the microkernel and the kernel task, which is why it's the center of this. Now, the, the only thing I'll add is when we're talking about going to activity monitor, you always, I think, almost always want to view it in all processes and not user processes. If your user if, processes are probably the least interesting, especially when you're geeking out like we are and you're trying to figure out what is making my computer dog slow. Well, it's probably not your user task. It's probably something behind the scenes. So I would almost always recommend that you view all tasks. And actually, there's a bonus view. I think it's all tasks hierarchically. Hierar- uh, hierarchically. Hierarchically. 
Yes, which shows, and actually I think Launch D is one of the stars here, but it'll show the task that spawned the other tasks, which can lead you to a deeper understanding of exactly how things work underneath the covers in, in Mac OS X. And I think I'm kind of done with that little tangent there, but it was fun. Yeah, we and, and there are pieces of this that we glossed over. You know, there, there's there's pieces of the kernel that aren't, represented here and then kernel task kind of takes over because we have a microkernel uh it doesn't handle everything and so kernel task is this thing that sits above it sort of and 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 takes care of the things that that the microkernel doesn't do there is however so if any and i i'm going to qualify this because i know we're going to get uh emails from people saying and this is good i'm not complaining We'll get emails from from uh, many of you that'll say, ah, mm, yeah, well, mm, wrong, you know, and, and explain <laughs> what we did about what kernels and uh, tasks. Yeah. And, and, and well, I got to say, again, my understanding is very I mean, it's dated. You know, I haven't taken an OS course in a while, I, but I think oh, we're yeah. listen to him backpedal, folks. No. Anyway, so uh, <laughs> it's all it's all fine and good. So, yeah, if, if we got something wrong, feel free to send us email and and be as geeky as you want in the email. Know, though, that if it's something that you feel should be shared with the listener base, i.e., no, you guys really screwed it up. And, uh, hey, you know, you, you got to correct this. Give us something to go on here. Uh, you know, try and and water it down because otherwise we're going to look at it and I, water it down is wrong. Translate it into terms that humans would understand. That's that's one of the things that that is the underlying core of what John and I try to do here is is really making this stuff accessible now sometimes we water it down too much and that's sometimes happens with stuff that we understand intrinsically and then other times we've got it wrong from the beginning and then we translate it and it's even worse that's uh, rare yeah but it might have happened here so uh if it did you know give us something to go on so that we can so that either we can help translate it into into human or uh if you feel as as though you, you can you can do that then that's great because uh we, we would appreciate it and i'm happy and to share more so you know what helps is a lot of times that I, I got to thank again, the beloved listeners. Mm -hmm. Really? I love some of you guys. I mm -hmm. think um, iTunes comments and, and we've had a number that will, will comment on our presentation style. Either you guys totally pick the geek meter, or I think I kind of understand most of what you say. And then I can go through the excellently produced show notes <laughs> for the most part, if I get them done on time <laughs> or, huh? But um, anyways, uh, the, the, the iTunes comments uh, or through other channels really help us kind of tune. And I think we got a good balance, Dave, you know, between that's the, that's Uber the Geek and, uh, you know, I just opened the box and what do I do? So Right. So yeah, this show is, is actually we started with a little bit of geeky stuff and then we talked about some cool things. Right. That, that are, you know, accessible for everyone. And then we've gotten geeky here. And I'm pretty sure the next uh, question, which will probably be the last one for the show, is also kind of geeky, but but important to know uh, for anyone that's looking at memory management. And that's a teaser because I want to talk about this one MacBook Air specific thing mm. on the MacBook Air. Now, I do not I do not have one. So I have no practical firsthand experience with this. But on did it get lost? Huh? Did it get lost in the mail? I My, thought they were sending you one. No, uh, no. I don't think no, so. No, I wasn't expecting, no, okay. but it could be here. You know, Santa <laughs> FedEx could deliver it at any time. Uh, <laughs> I like that. It's good. Okay, yeah, go thanks. on. I try, you know, I'll be here all week. Uh, it, on the MacBook Air, when it heats up, when the processor heats up occasionally, 
and this is by design, in, at least in the OS, uh, it shuts down one of the two cores. We've all heard about the, the core duo and core two duo series of processors, which the MacBook Air has. It has two, essentially two processors, really two processing cores packed into one chip. Uh, and Go on. Yeah, we're just going to leave it. See, watch us. Watch us leave that 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 <laughs> glossed over comment behind. Thank you. You got it. Uh, it shuts one of them down to allow the processor to cool. Now, a lot of times when that happens, of course, the other core uh, gets all the work and heats back up and, and it never actually shuts down. But the fact that this that Benjamin's query. Talked about him being on a MacBook Air and processor utilization being at or the, the processor utilization of kernel task being at 50% or higher made me kind of think, gosh, you know, that's exactly the activity uh, that they, they, that's exactly the symptom I would expect to see from the OS. If it was expecting one core to be doing something and, and simply couldn't. So, uh, so we'll, we'll leave it at that. And uh, I just wanted to throw that out there that, that potentially may be an issue in using uh, one of the like thermograph X, I think is your favorite uh, temperature monitor, John. Is that right? Uh, I don't really think so. No. Oh, well I made that up. Is then. it thermograph? Uh, I'm pretty it sure be. it is. <laughs> temperature monitor. Temperature monitor. Okay. Using as of late. So there you go. So that, that using that will tell you if, this might potentially be a, a core issue. A, a or core ISTAT. Issue. ISTAT, ISTAT Pro is kind of cool. It is. If you're into widgets. Um, you know, I got I to... We got we to we move on to Sebastian. We're not... We're not we're, I don't want to rant. But what are you going to rant about? Next time. Well, just about how shutting down a core is kind of rude. Oh, yeah. Oh, I see what you're saying. The, it, it, rude to... From... For, from for a computer to simply decide that something is going to go down without telling the application as a very quickly and then we'll move yeah. on. No, yeah, go, we go, time. go, go. As a software type of guy, so uh, to me, a reasonable approach to if, especially if you run an app that you think is processor intensive, is when you start up, you say, "Hello, computer, what do you got? Okay, I got this many processors, this many cores." Okay, thank you. Now I can estimate what I can do and not traumatize the rest of the, the system. If you all of a sudden take away half of my processing load in the middle of me running, now yes, I know, especially the software people listening to this, yes, I could continually check to see how many cores and how much OS uh, processing power is available. Well, not so much OS, but how many cores and what processors are available to do my bidding. And I should always check that to make sure it doesn't change. If it does, I should reduce my expectations accordingly about what can be done. But I don't know if all applications are necessarily written to expect a core to all of a sudden, like on the air, just disappear. And I think may may make the situation worse. So that's all I'm going to say. As a developer, it's an unusual, I think, approach uh, yeah, shutting down a core. I'm I'm sure they they offer APIs to deal with it, where you can say hello, how many are there, how many are there, but it's just kind of weird for them to take that action. And I don't think a lot of systems do that, where you know once you got the cores you start up with, that's it, you're done. There, you know, I it, while you while you were saying that, John, it made me think of the technical call info window, which is a 
an option you can enable in in the mm-hmm. newer uh, versions of Skype that are out, the current version of Skype. And and there is a CPU usage line that shows up in the technical call window that mm-hmm. that's constantly changing. And if the CPU usage goes too high in a video call, it'll actually start scaling down the resolution to get to the point where the system's not going to become unresponsive. So that's uh, and then it'll scale. So what you're saying is they, they may rely. They may rely on this measure to do what they do. You got it. Yeah. And they're constantly monitoring it. So it's, it's a it's a good thing. All okay. right. Let's see. Uh, let's see if we can get through Sebastian here before uh, before I'm late yeah, for dinner. Good stuff. I, I know I'm going to be late for dinner. That's okay. No, you won't. Go. I'm pretty sure. Uh, so Sebastian writes, I'm having a problem with my MacBook Pro. It started on Thursday. I start off my MacBook Pro. And then before I know it, for no apparent reason, the RAM use keeps increasing until there is no available RAM to around seven to eight megabytes of RAM free. I called Apple. They told me to remove all login items and troubleshoot by replacing them one at a time to see if this resolved the issue. It did not. I really prefer not to have to erase an install. So, guys, do what you do best to help me. For the record, there does not Uh appear to be any reason for this happening. I used Cocktail and MacPilot to clear caches and several other user items, hoping that would resolve and nothing. I've zapped PRAM, and Apple has uh, had me remove the battery and hold down the power key, and this did not resolve the issue either. I wouldn't expect any of those things to resolve the issue. Uh, Okay, so let's, let's talk about RAM usage here. In Mac OS X, there are four measures of RAM usage. There's mm-hmm. active, wired, inactive, and free. I'll start with wired. Wired is stuff that we've been through this before, but this is, this is good to revisit. Go. Wired is the stuff that absolutely has to remain in memory all the time. No ifs, ands, or buts. Probably OS stuff and kernel stuff and all that where, yeah, you can't touch this. Can't touch it. It's got to be in memory. Got I got to have access to this. The active stuff is things that are in memory, like on the chips, but could, if necessary, be offloaded to a swap file somewhere. A swap file being a temporary place to store data that the system expects to be in RAM but there is not enough room for it. And that is an oversimplification of it, but that's okay. So if you need extra RAM that the system doesn't have, the system will take something that's in active memory that's not really necessary, save it out to disk, free up some RAM, load in what you need. Then there's inactive, which is, think of it as a cache, stuff that is there but could be freed at a moment's notice without anyone caring. Uh, and then there is free, RAM that is truly free with nothing in it, at all. The way Unix works is it tries to be as efficient as possible. And one of in, in, in that effort, one of the things it tries to do is take as much data as it has seen and keep it in memory. Because if something has been seen recently, well, there's a good chance we might need it again. And so we're just going to leave it here until we need to use that space for something else. So inactive will continue to grow and make free go away. And I, that's, a, that's normal behavior to a point. Do you have anything to add on this before I, well, before I to take a, a point, left turn? But, but I guess what, what I have to say is, I'm going to get right down. In- John? That is a lot. You there? Hello. Why don't you try, <laughs> why don't you try that again? Start your <laughs> rant from the top. <laughs> Inactive is a lie. Yes. 
Did you get that? I got that now. Okay. In that, uh, it's misleading because I would say in general, your total available memory is not just free, but is free plus inactive. And you know, it's, it's funny because Apple actually has a support article basically saying this. So what is normal behavior is when you start up your computer, free will be large. As applications use memory, but don't, and I think this is the best way to put it, Dave, don't quite think it's ready to be released yet. We'll hold it in inactive. Inactive does not mean, well, I don't know. It, it's not a very good choice of words, I guess, because inactive to me means free, but if somebody wants it soon, I'll give it back to you. Yeah, I'll give you that. So, and, yeah. and what Apple says, so basically Apple says, if free is low, we will link to the article, of course, don't worry about it. If, if, uh, however, if both free and inactive are low, that means you got to pull out the wallet and you got to just man up and buy more RAM. Yeah. All right. I, I agree with that in theory. Okay. The problem is, in practice, I have found that any system that gets down to, say, let's say less than 30 megabytes of free RAM doesn't really? have enough RAM. It, yeah. It, 30, 30 megabytes. 30 okay. megabytes. So we're talking okay. a very small amount by today's standards, <laughs> of course. Hmm. Uh, but I, that's combined been, with inactive, because Apple said... No, no. no I, okay. Inactive okay. can be okay. as big as I want it to be. Any machine right. I've had... That gets down to 30 megs or less of free RAM. Okay. Swap files start getting created like crazy, and the machine gets really, really bogged down. That said, for Sebastian, I wouldn't necessarily use the free RAM measure alone as the one and only criteria for deciding if you need to buy more RAM. If your RAM is down to 7 or 8 megs free, but your system is running fine then you're probably fine. But if your system gets slow and you notice that there's all this hard drive crunching and your free RAM is low, regardless of what inactive says, then you need more RAM. And, and I'm saying this not based on technical knowledge. I'm saying it based on firsthand experience with many compute Macs over the last two years. Uh, you know, right now on my, uh, on the iMac that we're podcasting on, I am at, uh, 1,500 megabytes free, 650 inactive. The machine's been running for three days, uh, and it's got one swap file created and 7.1 megs of RAM used so, uh, hmm. in the swap file. So that's the other thing. Look at, you know, if free gets really low, but you, you're not creating any swap files, and menu meters, of course, is the, uh, the end-all, be-all way of, of finding uh, this data. Of uh, course. But, but that, that's the thing. Look at the swap files. If the swap file usage is just going up, then, yeah, you need more RAM. If it's not then don't worry about it. Uh, add add free and inactive together and call that free. And I think in general, our advice, Dave, when you're buying your Mac, well, I don't, you know, actually, we'll probably close or bow out with this, but um, Apple's RAM prices used to be pretty, um, how can I say, ridiculous, yeah. profit-driven. <laughs> Is that safe to say? Uh, yeah, they were. Um, but I think they've gotten a lot, lot better. Actually, we had some listeners point out saying, hey, you know, Apple is not quite as insane as they used to be about charging for extra memory. So 
I think we still recommend you want to you want to pick and choose. You know, you, you want to look at the price of the system with the minimum RAM from Apple versus getting an upgrade from some of our uh, you know pals and uh, and just see. But uh, you know, try to like I got my my machine. I, I believe I have four gigs. Right? Is four yeah, gigs the, yeah, uh, the max do. on the uh, on the MacBook Pros right now? Yes. Yes. So just save save yourself the grief. Just it, stock up on the RAM because you will probably need it, especially with multimedia and all that all that fun stuff going on. So you know whatever you can do, get get the most RAM you can afford. I agree. It's time to bring the band in. Those of you that heard John and I stuttering, uh, our sound stuttering about 30 seconds ago, that's because I haven't installed Wiretap anywhere <sighs> on, uh, on this computer yet. They told you. Oh, no, I know. I know to install it. I, I just, I was planning on doing it today, and uh, I was on the phone literally all day. So. Okay, and I have a Twit shout-out. Well, did you notice this, uh, Dave? Uh, Ambrosia, no. they are tweeting. Tweeting, is that right? Yeah. So Ambrosia SW, Ambrosia Software, that's their handle. They're sending out little updates. I think they're having fun doing it, so... Uh, and I think everybody... I'm going to kill the music. It's making us stutter. Go ahead. <laughs> so anyways, Ambrosia just started up their uh, Twitter feed uh, a couple of days ago, I think. And uh, so Ambrosia SW. Check them out if you're a fan of Ambrosia software. I am Dave. You are Dave. Uh, yeah. Uh, if you're listening to this, you should be a fan. <laughs> <laughs> if you're not, well, no, I mean, based on... Oh, I mean, all the Hi. things they've done iPhone yeah. Alley. Keep They're going. good. No, they're good. Who? iPhone, iPhone Alley. Alley is Where's the, the site. music? I, I told you, I'm not going to have music. It's yeah, making a stutter. Kinda, you're kind of throwing me. It's making a stutter, dude. Uh, <sighs> iPhoneAlley.com is where Michael Johnston spends his Thank time. You, yep. And uh, he has the iPhone Alley podcast, which I had the great pleasure of participating in the, earlier yeah, this week. Yeah, look at you. Michael and Adam Christensen, uh, Merlin Mann, and uh, and the esteemed Adam? Jeff Really? Christian. Adam? Jeff Cannon. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah, I missed out. Damn. It was good. Uh, Cashfly provides all the bandwidth for the show. The podcast marketplace includes the A5 and A2 desktop speakers from Audio Engine, BB Edit from Barebone Software, updated to version 9 just yesterday. Uh, 20% off still from SmileOnMyMac.com. I believe that's only till the end of this month. And that's SmileOnMyMac.com slash geek and notebook from Circus Ponies all through the Backbeat Media Podcast Network. And... Uh, I think that's it. I'm gonna I'm gonna try for the uh, for the outro music here, John, and, and if it if it blows up on us, it blows up. You know, that's just how it goes. There we go. I'm rocking. Is that making you feel better? Yes. It's not making us stutter, so that's good. Maybe during your vacation next week I'll rejigger this machine here and Alright, I'm in Orlando. If you're in Orlando, hello. Say hi. Have fun on vacation, John. Don't get caught. Made up.